Hello and welcome to Storytime with Bemsi, where we read stories together and talk about them. Or rather, where I read stories to you and tell you what I think about them. Today's story is A Night Out, and it was written by Tololwa Marty Molao. Before we go into today's story, a quick word about the author. Tololwa Marty Molao is a Tanzanian author dramatist and storyteller who has written 17 internationally published books and several plays as well as stories that he created or adapted for performance. In today's story, we follow a man named Mika on a night out. Without any spoilers, here is A Night Out by Tololwa Marty Molo. For a long moment, Mika sat awkwardly without his usual self-assurance, despite the alcohol singing in his veins. But suddenly, feeling a fool for his unease, he cleared his throat, a trifle too loudly, and ventured. What's your name? Mama Tumaini, which means Mother of Tumaini. She did not lift her eyes, but went on busying herself with putting the child to sleep on the mat on the floor. Quite unexpectedly, the child began to cough, a violent, racking outburst that threw his little body into spasms. Mika leaned forward and felt the child. His brow was damp and hot with fever. Has he had any treatment, he asked, relieved to find something neutral to say. She replied, there isn't an aspirin to be had at the dispensary. Under the mother's soothing, the child Tumaini eventually lay still, asleep, his breath rasping in and out. Mama Tumaini wrapped herself in a kanga, then lit a mosquito coil. Smoke rose in spiral, spreading over the mat. The child stirred and sneezed. The mother, squatting gently, patted him to sleep. God grant you health, my little one, she murmured. God grant you health and strength, good little mama's soldier. Why soldier? Mika asked, rather pointlessly. Yes, soldiers don't starve or get sick. She spoke with such toneless simplicity it could have been a child talking. Yes, they don't starve, Mika said. They get killed. Better to die than this nameless misery of ours, she shot back. Better a quick, clean bullet in the head than this slow dying and burning from hunger and disease. Oh, soldiers starve too, you know, when there is nothing to eat, Mika said hard-heartedly. But she was sunk deep in her thoughts. She might not have heard. Then as if to herself, alone in the room, she said, To mine his father was a soldier. Was? went Mika. A real bull of a man he was, with none equal to him. Life was easier then, with him around. He was like a father to me, to my mother, to all of us. Now living has become such a task. You have to struggle for each small thing. Everything, everything you have to pay for in blood, if you can find it. If Tumai and his father were around still... She seemed almost on the point of bursting into tears, but she didn't. Why, is he dead? Mika asked. But purely out of curiosity, his voice too loud and untouched by the woman's dull sorrow. 
I don't want to talk. Don't ask me, please, she pleaded. Then she began to cry and said through her tears, He went off to Uganda to war. He might be alive. He might be dead. Mika said nothing. The child Tumaini was still again. His mother's hand on him, still patting, absently. At last Mama Tumaini straightened up and turned off the small tin lamp in the room. In the dark, she submitted herself, silently, dutifully and professionally. But afterwards, when Mika rolled his body off her, there wasn't the usual feeling of having conquered. Though fully sated, he lay back less than happy, vaguely unsettled, the laboured breathing from the mat adding to his sense of deflation. He did not know when he finally fell asleep and woke up with the panic of one who does not know where he is. It was not until he felt Mama Tumaini's body by his side that he remembered where he was. He got out of bed and lit a cigarette. The coil had burnt out and mosquitoes buzzed angrily. He sat frowning in the dark, something troubling him, though he didn't know what. Suddenly, he was aware of the silence in the room. Mouth dry and head faintly throbbing, he got up putting out his cigarette, and went to the mat. There was no sound from the child, and in the darkness he could only make out a mute, steel haze. But he dared not strike a match to light the lamp. He put his hand out towards the child, and his eyes, gradually used to the dark, gazed down, fascinated at the little body, lifeless and cold to his touch, its form now becoming distinct under the first stabs of dawnlight. Mama Tumaini stirred, mumbled something, then went back to sleep. Mika waited until her breathing grew deep and even again, before he sat on the bed, gingerly, and lit another cigarette, his mind busy. Then, then, moving softly, he picked up his clothes from the floor where he had dumped them in a drunken pile. Dressed, he paused a while, his eyes involuntarily seeking the child's body. No, he must leave immediately, he urged himself. It wouldn't do to get caught in the morning and funeral ceremonies. There was no point, and it would delay him further. And anyway, he found himself thinking, what was the child to him, or the mother for that matter? Mechanically, he took out his wallet, peeled off several notes, and with no attempt to make out the amount, placed the money on the stool by the bed, and set the lamp on it as weight. The door squeaked as he unbolted it. He paused, his heart pounding, his ears strained towards the bed. Mama Tumaini stirred. You're going already? she asked him. Yes, he answered. This early? You know that transport is a problem, and I have to travel today. Come what may, he just had to get out today and tried to make it to Dar es Salaam by nightfall. For two days now, he had been sunk in this dreary little town because petrol shortage had crippled transportation and inundated the small town with stranded travellers. It was to get away from the sweating horde hopelessly milling all over the town in search of transport, 
that on the previous day he had decided on an evening of entertainment and action. Drink had appealed to him as just the antidote he needed for his despondence. But the search for beer, which he preferred, was doomed from the start. There had been no beer in town, he was told, at the first bar he stopped in, since the day the beer truck went crashing over a bridge leading into town. The truck was still here, a useless wreck of scrap metal. Mika did not want to believe this, although he suspected it was probably the truth. He would have given his little finger for a drop of beer, and he went all over town, which didn't take as long as there was little of it besides the bus stop. A couple of depressing, dusty, narrow lanes made up the backbone of the town, and beyond that was only a patchwork of slums. But he had no luck whatever in his search, and had to make do with the local pombe which was in abundance. He had little stomach for local stuff, but even though he imbibed it slowly and grudgingly, gradually the booze took hold and he felt some of his despair lift. He even felt cheerful enough to join a group of local drinkers at a nearby table. But just as the evening seemed to be taking off, he suddenly found himself abandoned, his fellow drinkers having left for other bars or their homes. He had left too and gone stumbling through the night. He would never remember how he ended up in Mama Tumayani's place or why he decided he could not spend the night alone in his bed in the room he had rented at the lodging house. Funny, he thought aimlessly, paying for a room and then sleeping elsewhere. Wasteful, he concluded grimly. Mama Tumayani was talking. Even so, she said, won't you wait for me to make you a cup of tea at least, to start you off? That was the last thing he wanted, her getting up and finding out about the baby. He had to get away first. No, no, he said quickly. My things are at the lodging house. I have to get ready. I'll eat somewhere. Suit yourself, she said, turning over. Then faintly, almost inaudibly, as if it was an afterthought, she wished him a safe journey. He thanked her, then limply, guiltily, he mumbled. Your money. I've put your money, your money on the stool. But she might have gone back to sleep, or she might have had enough of him, as she made no response. Mika opened the door and walked away in quick, tense steps as light broke out over the rooftops and wisps of smoke from the early morning cooking lazed over the slums, announcing the start of another day. The End I particularly liked this story because it was an easy read. Not too long, but quite entertaining nonetheless. We see Mika on a night out, and we see that he finds himself at the end of the night at a woman's house. So this woman has a very sick child who she is tending to, and we get to realize that she has lost her husband as well. But she's not very sure whether he's dead or just lost at war or something has happened to him in Uganda where he went to fight. This loss has left her in a precarious financial position and she does what she has to do to make ends meet. So we find all of this out by means of the small talk that Mika has with the woman. It's very clear from the story that he's not really interested in the small talk, right? He came for a particular purpose 
and this dog is just what he has to do because he's met this woman and she's got an ill child. And they're talking about something very interesting, right? Whether it is better to die in war, whether a sudden death is better than a slow, painful death, like what the child is experiencing. Anyways, at the end of the evening, at the end of this conversation, Mika ends up sleeping with this woman. But then when he wakes up in the middle of the night, he realizes that her son is dead. And then he faces a very interesting moral dilemma. Does he stay till the morning? Uh, knowing that if he stays till the morning, then there is some emotional commitment on his part, right? He has to probably help console the woman or participate in the funeral rites or, or at least he has to witness some of this. Or does he just leave before the woman wakes up and realizes that her son is dead? Obviously, he leaves before the woman wakes up. So his decision is clear. He decides that he does not want to be emotionally involved in that way. Uh, So he wakes up in the morning, makes sure that he leaves before the woman finds out that her son is dead. But in this case, I am quite interested in what you as the audience thinks. Do you think that he made the right decision? Do you think that the decision that he made was a cold one? What would you do if you were in his shoes, right? If you found yourself in the shoe, in the shoes that he was in, what would you do? Would you stay and try to provide some comfort to this woman that you've met? Or would you just pay the money and leave? Anyways, that's it for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. You can also post about it on social media or leave a rating and review on iTunes. To catch the latest about the podcast, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at storytimewithbemsey. That's one word. Thank you very much once again, and I'll see you next time.